Ladies and gentlemen, guys and dolls, welcome to another episode of Pod Tiki. This is another Tiki chat, as you can tell by the fact that I'm actually talking to you in my regular voice and not my sexy slow down pod voice. But we are, you know, the holidays are upon us and it's a little bit difficult on this time of year to set aside the time it takes to do the research for a full episode. So I thought instead of me sitting down and boring you with another regalia of my, my, uh, views on on tiki and drinks I, let me sit down and talk to somebody who actually knows a little bit about something from the inside uh not to mention just a cool guy that i got to actually meet and hang out with a few weeks ago at the launching of the tennessee uh well the launching in tennessee of one of my favorite rums a rum that was turned on to me by a friend of mine who sent me samples and he sent me many different samples and we sat there and we did a tasting. You might remember this episode. It was my friend David Bergen. Um, we were talking and we were talking and we were sipping and we were drinking. And then I came across one that I really liked and went back to a few times and asked him about it. And he told me it was the Queen's Share from Privateer. And I had never heard of them before. And I, I mean, of course, not like it's that big of a deal. I have never heard of a lot of things before. But this rum, I'm going on this rum journey with you guys right alongside you. And ever since then, Tennessee has been lucky enough to get a lot of great rums, but this one was kind of a holdout that I still couldn't find. And then a few weeks ago, we were lucky enough to be joined in Tennessee by Privateer Rum, which has great expressions. We're going to go over here tonight, a couple of different ones, really something in the line for everybody. The Queen Share is my favorite. We're also very lucky tonight to be joined from Privateer Rum, Mr. Andrew Cabot. How are you, sir? Good to How see you. are you? <laughs> Sorry for that long-winded introduction, but <laughs> it's kind of what I do. I rant a little bit, which is why I'm glad that we uh, that we had a nice talk earlier in, uh, in a couple of weeks ago in town. Yep. It was nice to uh, touch base and kind of have a conversation. That's the kind of stuff I love. Um, so tonight, pretty much going to start off with a brief you know, like trying to stay professional if we can, but the my as these usually go, they tangent off. And please feel free to jump in with anything you want to talk about as well. Uh, I don't really have any plan for this except for giving everybody that listens a uh, you know a, a, a jump off spot into privateer. A little bit about yourself, a little bit about the company. If you want to start there, yeah, I'll be very happy to. Um, uh, so we talked a lot about rum starting up. It's really had a big push in the last ten years. Um, uh, when we looked at this, I'm going to call it a problem, 11, 12 years ago, uh, you know, about 90-something percent of rum was somehow adulterated or compromised, flavored, filtered, spiced. And, and no disrespect for those things uh, and these approaches and these brands who have obviously been very successful, much more so that it, it didn't really match the other fine spirits that I enjoyed um, at home. Uh, so that was uh, use noble spirits, fine spirits. There's all sorts of fancy words for it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's stuff that was really has a legacy, really made beautifully. Uh, obviously, there's avant-garde versions of things that are, have been informed by the same. Uh, they're doing great work. And we kind of, when we looked at it, it was a confluence of three sort of, it was the nexus of three uh, three vectors. One was craft local movement, you know, post 9-11, a lot of people are closer to home and they're thinking, I think it started off as big screen TVs in the basement. It evolved into some really interesting CSA and craft local movement. There's a tiny bit too much breathless marketing on Instagram from my palate, but I'm an older guy, so I, I get it. But uh, I can only make a, a stove so sexy or a fiddle fire you know, <laughs> so sexy and so forth. Um, the second was, uh, it was a relatively weak category. So there was a market opportunity uh, rarely does the industry and, and the world that we live in give you uh, the top uh, of the pyramid to, to target. Um, and that's not disrespecting many of the rums that are made in the world. It's much more to say that not as much rum was made as well and certainly wasn't as available. And, and, and so allow for a little bit of rum. That's a complicated thought if you really step into it, but it, it, it really was a market opportunity um, from a business perspective. Um, I came across my own, uh, my father asked me to actually do a little research uh, and portraiture, which is the non how many sheep and children did you have version of genealogy and <laughs> asked me to dig into the brothers Cabot 
uh, who were in Beverly, Massachusetts, uh, Andrew Cabot namesake, 1750 to 1791, um, really kind of, uh, how should we say this, uh, anything less than gently encouraged his merchant brothers to get rid of flaking fish and some of the other smaller businesses and really get into, uh, obviously there was some smuggling, molasses smuggling, French islands, um, low tide deals, interesting stuff. But privateering uh, was really the opportunity. So that was the that was that was Wall Street. That was software. That was uh, a little bit patriotic, not always. Uh, and to give you a sense of how it started, I mean, everybody argues about where things start. You know, it doesn't matter what it is, whoopie pies or privateering or anything. But oh, believe me, uh, I do a I, I do a, a cocktail podcast. So there's no history. Cocktail history is. You can ask five different people and get five different stories. Uh, I, I have a couple of thoughts on that subject. We'll come back, <laughs> back to people that proudly say things that aren't true. Um, then the, the, the last piece, though, was, you know, the, the, the arguably first privateering event was in Beverly Harbor. It involved uh, an English transport ship that came across, got stuck on the sand outside. Uh, two guys in a rowboat and one pistol went out and took it over. And John Adams convinced George Washington to allow for privateering, not a new profession, but it basically was the ability to take, capture uh, British vessels, declared enemies of the country's vessels. And the only rules, well, there were very few, but one of the rules was that they would be prized or auctioned in these prize courts. And so, you know, not unlike our own modest beginnings, two guys in a rowboat with a single pistol taking a boat is is exactly the sort of the, 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 the leverage play that we're trying to perform at Privateer as we uh, enter the crowded and sometimes sharp-elbowed uh, spirits uh, universe. So those are the things that really brought it together. And, and I looked at it and I thought, well, geez, you know, I've, I've loved technology and I've loved you know, some work in genomics and things, but uh, there's just no substitute for going back to making things the way they were made, to full history, family, and something amazing and almost approaching an asymptote in terms of uh, seeking perfection. Um, and uh, you know, probably I was old enough to know that what I was gonna make if I did it right, or, and, and now that's a we, what we would make, um, is something I would never see. You know, it's best was gonna be long beyond me. Uh, this isn't a pop out, sell it, spin it uh, game. This is trying to build something that'll last forever, uh, whatever ever turns out to be. So that was the genesis of this whole story. Now, the before we get uh, before we leave this and get into more modern day stuff, like let's talk about that a little bit. The uh, I know we spoke about it in person when we met, but one of the things that drew me, um, I'm, I'm sure my listeners have heard the story a million times, but what got me into uh, really diving into rum was I went to a pop tiki festival here in Nashville one year where Beach Bum Berry was the, the keynote speaker, if you will. And after his um, after his uh, speech, I got to hang out and BS with him a little bit. And he advised me to read a book called And a Bottle of Rum by Wayne Curtis. And yep. that book really is what I mean, growing up in Florida and being a, a a lover of like tropical drinks and all that, I always had a very periphery understanding of what it was. But that book, reading about how Rome and the history of Rome in the U.S. and in the colonial era and how it really how the, you know, the sometimes uh, the sometimes good, sometimes bad rum trade kind of grew the from the Caribbean up the East Coast of the United States and helped really form you know, the economy that was able to, to that it formed the economy that was able to help us with the revolution. And uh, not to mention all of those plans were made in a bar, probably over a glass of Medford rum or something. So uh, to really learn about how the rum trade, you know, you think about American spirits and you always want to go, or maybe the, the lay, the lay person might want to go to bourbon, right? That's like the, what you think of the American drink, but as a late comer. I mean, yeah, and rum has been here since before we were a country. Yep. So um, it really is. That's what really set me on this journey of learning all about rum and all about the history of rum through the Caribbean and all that. And then I realized that, you know, of course, we all we all have the Caribbean rum in our head. We all think about the pirates and the privateers and all that. And then you hear, oh, wait a minute. Some of the some of the most classic rums in the history of Rome were made in New England, 
And so, so maybe you can uh, expound on that a little bit. Like, how did that happen? How do, how do we get from Jamaica and Guyana and Barbados up to Massachusetts? Yeah, from where the sugar comes from to, right. Uh, it, 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 I'll give you the, I was very lucky to, you probably know Habitation Villiers and that whole crew. And it was really interesting to, to meet Luca and, and his team and talk about some of these questions. And one of the things they do very much is they champion places where rum is, is being made. And our very first conversation, which for me was you know, brutal, was red eye in. And by 830, I, I think it's on Facebook still, there's 27 bottles that are open in front of us. And <laughs> I don't even know what time zone I'm in. But the, one of the first conversations we had was about, you know, you know the, really where rum comes from. And, and, and obviously, everybody knows the Christopher Columbus story and, and how it came to the Caribbean and so forth. But Rum is being made, and really interesting rum is being made in so many places. So he really stretched my mind to think, of course, New England rum, not only is it something today, but it always has been, or for a long time has been. The early, early history of New England rum was very industrial, uh, i.e. industrial process. And so if you go through the records of, of the various you know, famous people that you know that is much statuary for, uh, you can find in almost all of their records some purchase of Caribbean, West Indies, something rum. Uh, it was obviously a, a superior product uh, in the day and, and Massachusetts was just doing what we did well. Uh, we, we, we were sort of commencing the industrial revolution a little bit early in some areas. In fact, the Cabot brothers were in, uh, put in a, uh, a, a cotton mill uh, that was horse powered, which of course really didn't work and everything had to move up to Lawrence and Lowell and the rivers that would power them. Um, but but let's keep going. The second wave of New England rum is less known. And it's interesting. There's a couple of good articles that I can link to you. Um, and they talk a lot about rum right going into prohibition. How much American oaked New England rum was stored, I think about a million barrels, uh, you know, early 20th century, so 19X, right? Um, and it's interesting when you go through the descriptions of these rums that their efforts were to make something better. And so they sort of the second surge of rum from up here, one was very industrial, think, you know, granite uh, slabs and you know, cobblestones and so forth are going down, timbers going down, protein codfish is going down to the Caribbean. What's coming up is molasses and ballast and, and other things that are lighter. Um, and it's just, it's just a really interesting story, but the second wave is much less discussed. And even as late, recently as the seventies, there were still a bunch of you know, rum distilleries and Caldwell's up by where we are now in Newburyport, certainly one of them. Well, could we, could, if I can interrupt and just touch on that a minute, they, there, we have seen throughout history, this rise and fall of rum coming to fashion, out of fashion. And if I'm not mistaken, um, it didn't have something to do with the, with, uh, I mean, it always had something to do with the availability of what was perceived to be the, the more wanted booze at the time, right? Like in the early days, you know, rum became a commodity because you couldn't get brandy and things like that. And, but so that second wave you're talking about right around prohibition, it was, um, we, we, we saw the, the rise uh, right, right before prohibition or right after prohibition, we saw the rise of the American bourbon and whiskeys. So that really kind of put that really kind of put rum into the background for a while. Um, Definitely did. And there's a there's a I, I kind of coined it. and It's not perfect, but bear with it. It's you know what you make your booze out of what's cheap and plentiful after people are fed. Uh, it applies fairly you know generally across the whole world and around the world. And you're right when you have a lot of sugar plantation in the Caribbean, you have in the case of the French, you had a surplus of um, uh, the byproduct of, 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 of making sugar because they didn't use it uh, as often. I, I want to be careful. Uh, you, have a, you have a sharp audience. Um, and you equally had uh, all sorts of interests such as uh, cognac makers in France, a sugar beet development under Napoleon. You had all these vectors that were constantly affecting the economics of rum. But what I think really changed in America was, uh, of course, America's uh, agricultural movement as we moved inland. Suddenly you had these, it, it wasn't guys in kilts showing up that changed distilling here as much as it was having swaths of rain. As mm -hmm. you moved into Ohio, Pennsylvania, obviously further south, 
And now you have a super surplus of crop. Um, in fact, if you want to get really geeky, read the vodka wars where the US State Department would basically claim that vodka came out of Poland to drive the Russians crazy or the, the Soviets at the time crazy. And all these debates about excise tax and surplus crops and all these, <laughs> it's such a thumb in the eye. But <laughs> if you're into that sort of stuff, it's it's worth a read and it's pretty funny. Uh, <laughs> so the um, to, to get technical for a minute, uh, what what is it about? Like we know that um, the the British Royal Navy. Um, would take a lot of rum from Barbados and Jamaica, Guyana, and uh, bring it back and bottle it and in in England and call it English rum or British style rum. Uh, what what is it? Um, I, I I don't think of New England as a as a sugar growing. Uh, you know, so what what is it? Is it about New England that made rum production there so popular? Uh, was it? Is the sugarcane taken from the Caribbean and then uh, the molasses was yeah, exactly molasses was yeah, taken. From it was a sweetener. It was a lot of things. Uh, and it was obviously a very it, it was an industrial product for us. So it was was it was the popularity of rum in New England or the reason why it was um, I mean, because you think about we have we have Florida, we have Florida and there's some great local companies in Florida right now. But you don't think of Florida or even like anywhere in the Carolinas, when you think of American rum, you kind of think of New England because that's where the history is. You're better informed than many. People are endlessly surprised that rum comes from New England. So I, 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 and, uh, and then what's funny is there's a folklore around all of them. I mean, you know, Medford, you mentioned a few mm-hmm. minutes ago, you know, the argument there was Medford had, you know, a slightly different water supply aquifer. And therefore it's almost like the pizza argument in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Or bagel argument or whatever you want it to be. Um, you know, there, but there was actually, and that's the key point is there is some amazing, there was some better rum being made here. And we are in fact, in Q1, I've got a whole bunch of bottles from the first 30 years of the last century that we're gonna open up and taste. Because I've been curious, and of course we have no idea how things age and, mm-hmm. and other things. And some of them will be, you know, I'm not gonna have made the trip, but I'm very curious to go back to all these things that people talk about and have strong opinions on. And yet most of the interviews I do or, or, or questions that I ask, I don't get satisfactory answers as have I've actually tasted it. Yeah. It, I'm actually looking forward to this and I'm very lucky. We had a few you know, friends who stepped up and went to sellers and uh, we'll keep you posted on that one. Uh, but it'll be interesting to see if, if it is what people have claimed about being good or not good. Um, yeah. It's just sitting here off the top of my head. I think, I guess I can speculate a little bit that um, the obvious would say that New England was probably a hub for production because it was where the city was. And, you know, so it was where people were going. And second of all, I guess like who were the people that were going there were people that came from the Caribbean and were those privateers, those sailors. So they probably had a better, um, they had a better understanding of how to make the product the way they do it down there. Um, And not to mention you know, some of the un- unfortunate aspects of it, as in they probably brought slaves that knew how to do it from down there with them. But so I guess I answer my own question. I guess New England was popular because they had the the know-how and that's where the people were. That's where there was not a major city on the East Coast down south. I, I will say one of the, 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 the significant influences is early, uh, early, you know, Massachusetts and Massachusetts was Maine then and, and, and the sort of this Northeast New England area was being in the carrying trade. So think merchant ships. Yeah. And, and so that was a huge part of our industry. And anybody who knows the various sort of uh, rebellions in Massachusetts by farmers were furious that the merchant class was being treated like Wall Street and, and getting all sorts of lobbying and breaks. Uh, meanwhile, the farmers were scuffling and had served in you know, wars and all these endless things and, and not been as respected. So I do, I can add to this um, that the carrying trade was a tremendous amount of wealth. It was a not used the word hub, of course, that's the nickname for our city, but it was truly a, a hub in the sense that FedEx would use it. A lot mm-hmm. went here um, and, and threw in some other elements, you know, our 
if, 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 if we were transporting something from the Caribbean to France, they would literally take it off a boat in a place like Boston. And then if the British would come, uh, we would declare neutrality. There's actually something that showed up in the, you know, in the War of 1812 is one of the things the British were unhappy about. Uh, but for a long time, we were in this carrying trade where we could trade on the, think of it almost like computers, on the networks of these major empires. Um, and we were just getting paid to do the work. Uh, it, was a, it was a wonderful business. Um, I, I can certainly probably prattle on and lose Rome completely if I keep going. Yeah, we, I, I, we, uh, I could definitely, being a history nerd and a Rome nerd, can go back on this for. We could probably have a whole podcast about the about the colonial era, but I don't want to bore the listeners with my own geekiness. Let's get back to modern day, man. So we 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 know where we know the the origins of the company and the origins of the name and the Rome and why it's so important and where it's from. Uh, let's talk a little bit. Uh, Modern day, man, like let's you guys have the well, well, the four expressions that I've tasted have been the queen share, yep. the friends of the friends of Rome, the Navy and the Navy overproof. Am I missing anything? So, yeah, we've got a few more. I can give you the list, but going but I don't want this to sound like marketing, so I want to be careful. But the nutshell is a lot of craft distilleries got a good a lot of lift. Uh, especially if they did things right and made an effort. And, and, you know, thank God they did. I think they've made spirits more interesting. And for a long time, we had a lot of success with single cask, two and a half, three and a half year old products. One of the things we really went back and looked at was really thinking through the whole portfolio as making it accessible in terms of single cask and blend, higher proof and, and, and more moderate proof. Um, and so we ended up with uh, a few new products. Uh, we, one is we have a four-year queen share. Um, which is at cast strength. We have a four-year Navy Yard, um, multiple casts brought together. Uh, we actually uh, do proof that down. Uh, it's at 104 in this current, actually sold out, but in the, in the last release, it'll probably drop to an even 100 just for familiarity in the next release. Mm -hmm. uh, so beyond that, we have the Tiki Gin, uh, which is a sugarcane-based distillate, um, in our case, molasses, um, uh, and uh, the influence of, of Tiki is really looking for uh, spices and, 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 of course, meeting the, 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 pro, you know, the specification mm -hmm. of juniper and so forth. So those are really interesting. The, probably one of the smarter things we did was we launched, uh, at first it was called Distiller's Drawer, but that morphed into Letter of Mark. And that also gave us a gateway for older products so we didn't necessarily have the volume to support as a, as a brand, a regular brand. Uh, it gave us a chance to put out our successful experiments, of which we're very lucky many have been or most have been. Um, and it gave us a chance to also showcase what the team was really excited about, even something as simple as an ingredient, a molasses change. So when we went to uh, a new provider on the molasses, you know, the team was really excited to release a barrel that was from and, and really discuss the changes that they sensed. And I think it's fair to say the market sense. So that, that's, that's, that's been the biggest changes to our lineup. Um, and that we end up with, you know, 80 proof, 90 proof, 100 proof, the uh, cast strength, uh, in, 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 and there's a 114 in there too with a gin. Um, and equally, we have this combination of single cask, blend of single cask, uh, and obviously uh, true blends. Where did the queen share come from? What's the history, what's the origin of that? Yeah, there's a little misunderstanding there. I think uh, the, the so queen share isn't really a distilling style, which you know it's kind of out there that it is. I think the best understanding I can give you is that in the research that I did before I launched Privateer, the references to the queen share were historical, and they picked up on the stewards of the queen could pick. Right. So it makes perfect sense. You think you got a bourgeois class there's, or there's a steward of the queen that's in employment. Mm. There's a scene between the two. Uh, the queen gets what she wants. You know, the story's told. Uh, and you can really say it could be the kings, but so forth. The second piece came from uh, Hubert Germain Robin and, and uh, a former employee, Maggie Campbell, who did some amazing work for us. And that was capturing what are known as the seconds in brandy making. Um, obviously, Benjamin Robin is from the Brandy world, um, family in Cognac, and his work in California is what mm. he's best for. 
Um, and the, the concept is to capture those transitional, um, the ethanol that's trapped in the butanol uh, after the tail's cut. So you're starting to get the bitterness of tails. Uh, the expression that a lot of people use is it's like salt. A little bit is wonderful, the distillate, a little too much ruins the meal. Um, but within those are more ethanols uh, and they're, they're, they're weighted and they're heavy and, and all sorts of interesting things. And so the cognac technique, and I'm not a cognac maker, so give me some latitude, um, is to capture that and capture enough of it over time to actually run a full charge of the still with it. And the yields are, you know, obviously a little bit lower. There's no fermentation in this uh, directly. As a, the step before is distillation. And it just produces a, an amazing, wonderful, um, everything from mouthfeel to complexity. Um, and I think the only delta, and I'll give credit to Pete Newsom, and I, I, I'm 99% sure that's correct, you know, correctly argued for uh, why aren't we just putting this in cask? And, and as I understand the cognac world, they're more inclined to uh, blend it in, um, given a number of, of, of reasons. Um, but it was, it was really interesting to see them uh, you know, single casket, lay it back, and now it's a mathematical, it's a derivative of our other production. So we can only make so much a year based on our, 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 our capacities. Um, hey, um, you know, the, the audience... Yo, no, of, yeah, no, that's right. great, man. I because I wondered about that. I wondered about the namesake and the origin. And the audience um, can't see me shaking my head as you're talking, but yes, the the product of that process, man, both mouthfeel, flavor, all the the different notes that get in there. Like I don't, I don't get too much into the nerdiness about tasting notes uh, on here because like it, it's so subjective. But man, that that rum just really is one of my one of my favorites. And I always wonder where the name came from and how it was. Now, the other one, and I have a, we talked a little bit before the, we had a conversation before we went live and we, there's some stuff you want to touch on. So I don't want to infringe on that too much, but I had a story about the, well, because you reminded me when we were talking that uh, the first time I tried the, the Navy, <clears throat> now I didn't have the overproof. I just had the regular one. And it was, uh, I, I remember saying to, um, to the bartender, Oh yeah, this is a this is this has got a very bourbon feel to it. Like this will be something that we, you know, you that that stereotypical. You got a bourbon drinker, you're trying to get him into rum. And I said that, and it clicked in me in that moment that how much that, how what a cliche, how how trite I sounded, because and how much I disagreed with what I was actually saying. Because I don't know if I I don't know if I told you this that night, but I kind of have I I kind of take umbrage with that saying the fact that. Well, how do you get a bourbon drinker into rum? Give him something that that tastes like bourbon. Well, hold on a second. That's if, if I tell you I don't like asparagus, but you deep fry it in butter and season it with salt and pepper and give it to me, and then I like it. Oh, of course, but I'm I'm not tasting the asparagus. I'm tasting you 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 tricked me into not into liking something I don't like by making it like something I do like. So I feel like I feel like I want to like I like getting people into rum with a rum like just give them a really good high end rum. Like yeah. give them a queen chair and see if they like it. Uh, this, um, I don't know. Like I, it just it it bothers me when people talk about getting people into rum by giving them something that tastes like something they already like. Well, obviously you like that. Yeah. It, so first of all, it's incredibly funny. And in the last ten years, has been you know everything from me standing in liquor stores saying, "Would you like to try a rum?" and having people tell me all their high school stories and a thousand <laughs> other things that I don't need to share right now. But anyway, the the. The, the, if, if you go back and remember, I'm an outsider, you know, I've learned a lot, but I'm an outs I was an outsider when I came and I probably want to keep that position because I think you see a little bit more clearly at times. The, the, if you accepted that 90% of rum in my opening you know, sort of preamble there was, was you know, questionable for whatever reason. And I do no disrespect for spiced rum, but mm -hmm. I don't consider Drambuya whiskey. I mean, I think I, I get, it gets a little murky for me at some point. We knew we had to go to the, forgive this, this is you know, popular language, but we had to go to the outstanding or noble spirits to, to learn. And, and it wasn't that we were moving away from rum, but we were looking to bring best practices uh, to, to rum. Sure. And, sure. and we're going to be informed by, obviously, Bear and others who have worked for us in the past. Um, our fermentations are influenced by a lot of things other than rum distilleries. 
Um, we have a very different environment in, in so many ways that we have to respect and actually, you know, candidly, uh, leverage. Mm. Uh, that's going back to the conversation with, uh, with Luca. Um, so where was I going to go with this? The, um, when we the... look at noble spirits, we look at bourbon and we looked at how it's made and the specification. And obviously we're not going to marry ourselves necessarily to the uh, coming off at a certain level of uh, alcohol and we're not going to marry ourselves, but we are going to look at how is it finished. And we're going to look at new American Oak, which was specified by various you know, governors who had a lot of white Oak in their backyards. Um, and we're going to say, what happens if you, if you do that? And in and, and, and bourbon, it's, a standard bourbon is respected. It's considered a, you know, by many to be a, a high mark of quality in American spirits. Um, and so why we would, we would look at that. Then you consider that rum doesn't age as well in warmer climates in new American oak. Okay, that's fair to say. I think there's very few examples of new American oak uh, being aged in the Caribbean and so forth for reasons that we all know. Uh, it's, it's gonna be excessively woody, the extraction is different, the humidity and temperatures are blah, blah, blah. So uh, the same holds true in the case of the queen chair with we're gonna look at cognac techniques. And we've talked a little bit about queen chair and, 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 and redistilling the cycle. Mm -hmm. But equally, if you look at our New England reserve, we're using cooping, uh, which is essentially, and I'll squeeze this in tightly, but we bring a whole bunch of barrels together that have been, our case, barreled at about 110, um, 55%. Uh, we marry them up and then we return them to neutral casts uh, as a blend and let them rest for another six months plus. So again, these are, uh, with complete respect for rum, and we're always learning from rum as well, but we're also going to learn from the other spirit makers. And now to your point, if, uh, if I, I will send a thousand ships with this next statement but if you think ingredient and, and distillation and aging as three separate elements i don't want to say how much each one contributes but they all contribute very much you know, best ingredients careful fermentations are obviously going to influence a lot uh, same with distillation same with you know careful aging uh, but that careful aging in new american oak is going to remind a lot of spirits drinkers of something that they are, American spirit drinkers are something that sure. it's not meant to be confusing. It's not meant to be, you know, a, a dangerous Microsoft, you know, migration strategy. <laughs> it's not meant to be anything else. It's just really, we want to learn from the best. And we're very lucky uh, in this, as, as I think, this is a throwaway line, but I think it's very true. A lot of whiskey distillers that visit us say over and over again, I can't hide anything in rum. I have a lot more ability to hide things in other spirits, but rum is not going to do well when it's over-oaked. And rum is not going to do well when the fermentations go a certain direction that isn't appropriate to the signature of the rum. Uh, and that's one of those, one of those reasons, sorry, but the, it's one of the things that I, um, especially, um, I, I think we're kind of over the, I don't know, maybe I'm not in the business and so maybe you know better than me. I think we're a little bit over the hump of people having, of rum having a bad name, but the, the, the same thing, same thing with tequila, you know, tequila had a bad name, but because everybody drank Jose Cuervo in college, but now I think people are, now I think people realize there's actually good tequilas out there and there's good rums out there. Yep. Um, so the, um, the stereotypes are a little bit broken now, um, which is oh, now, now I lost my train of thought, but so you're, you're describing, I think within a fairly, it's an emerging elite group, mm. I think, what I would say. And, and, and they are interested in rum as a category and, and we're living in an interesting time, throw COVID on top of it, throw some generations that are more curious. And all of a sudden you're right. People are going to want to learn. They want to know more. They want to find what they love about rum and they're willing to go through some things that they don't love as much. That's the perfect uh, time for the launch of something. Oh, as you were you were saying, I recall now. As you were yes, all of that, but also what I was going to say was uh, you were talking about the not being able to hide anything in rum. And it's funny, you know, I when the craft brewery thing was popping, you know, years ago, a lot of um, the real, you know, the nerds would always the nerds would 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 talk about uh, how you know American lager tastes like piss and all that. But the real beer nerds always seemed to um, pay respect 
to the big American loggers because it takes a lot like to do something that good that yeah. well in that quantity and for that long takes a precision and a and a, 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 a just same thing with the rum like I will never ever ever being a rum being a rum nerd I still have I still steadily keep a bottle of Bacardi silver in my in my bar because I feel like that recipe is test has stand the test of time. I love the whole Ribagua. Uh, the um, no, that's the wrong family. The, the uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the Bacardi, but that whole um, the Bacardi family and their recipe and all the old school, the original Havana Club and all that. Like uh, Cuban rum is still my all time favorite style of rum. I just love I I love that style. And if I I will still I will buy a you know I'll. I'll I'll, I'll drink a, uh, a glass of privateer or a glass of Hampton or something like that. And then sometimes I also just want a glass of Bacardi silver on the rocks because it actually tastes really delicious in the summertime when it's nice and hot, hot outside. So the, the idea of not being able to hide things in Rome, the, it makes, uh, I think like, and like you were saying us being over the hump of, uh, of getting people to enjoy Rome like it's actually now not only are we over the hump i think people are actually starting to respect um and and treat it with with the uh the uh yeah the respect for back lack of a better word i think i think we're early in my opinion but that doesn't mean i think uh you i mean just because i met a lot of the people when i was down in tennessee that's a sophisticated crew mm -hmm. uh, you have some really interesting people like yourself who are out there early and kind of helping rum, you know, enter this new sort of age of respect. Um, you know, there's, there, there's nothing without those ignition points. Um, I would still say the consumer is relatively young. Uh, uh, sorry, I don't want to say that this way. I want to say the consumer is at the beginning of the process. Um, mm -hmm. and of course, and no disrespect to the elites who are way ahead of, of course, yeah, so many, but I, I think the, the, the mainstream market is, is farther behind. So uh, what do you think we, what do you think rum needs? Do you think, um, you see, um, you see tequila, um, you see the rock having his own tequila. You see mezcal. You, I mean, you see mezcal getting popularity with, um, you know, the, the guys from breaking bad and all, and all like the dos hombres, uh, mezcal and tequila and all that. Uh, you, and I've seen tequila in the last couple of years, make a giant, leap and that's not just on social media like i see it in my friends around town that are drinking and stuff so what do you do you think rum would profit off of um the same kind of thing you, you think we need a celebrity spokesperson for rum? <laughs> yeah you <laughs> have one uh i'd say uh the first step was quality and best practices and everything we talked about and i think the last 11 10 years has been amazing you know, I think there's a lot, a lot of, of, of brands we know are now spinning off better and better projects. It's just one measure of it. Uh, I think some, there's some good startups like ourselves, but there's certainly we're not the only one. Mm -hmm. um, I think there is much better distribution of great products that were out there before. Um, I think those are all the right things. The, this is where, you know, naturally with any problem, you get past the first step. Now you see a lot of quality and slightly better distribution and availability and all the things that you're involved with heavily. I think the next phase, and this goes back to the conversation with Luca, is the consumer needs a set of expectations. And rum is so heterogeneous that if I put a Nissan and a Claren and a Foursquare and an Appleton and a Hamden and a, you know, a couple others in front of you right now, different proofs, different approaches, different ingredients, different, uh, the consumer, how do they even begin? Sure. You know, it's just it's too wide and and, and you know it, it, the you know the, the the maison show in paris you know you could talk to a whiskey person very clearly and say if i put a japanese whiskey in front of you you'd have a set of expectations right um and the same canadian or irish or bourbon american rye doesn't matter if we switch the you know the, the mash bill um I think that's the next big thing is people to really figure out what part of rum they love which area they love and have that first engagement and, and really enter the category and let go of all the, the you know, call it heuristic, of mm. drink rum, I'm not a rum guy, I am something else, this is who I am. It's not identity, it's palate too, but you get the idea. Um, and it's not necessarily identity. And I think once you have that clear handle for the consumer to pick up and say, 
I really like my first Barbadian rum, and now I want to try a few more from Barbados. That's where we see traction. And, you know, yeah. New American Oak we've talked about. When the spirit, you know, Tennessee was an amazing visit for us. Uh, and, and I have to say, I, I thoroughly, it, it's like, I was actually thinking about moving. It was had such a good week there. But anyway, the, um, you know, just something like that, you know, our, our process reflecting something that's familiar to a consumer is also a, an access point and a gateway, um, and, you know, in this sort of American spirit style, bourbon style. Uh, and, and one, some or one or many of these are going to click. And, and while the, you know, the, the first, the early adopters are, are looking at everything and evaluating everything and choosing preferences, they're, they're open to it. I mean, how many eight, you know, dram vials did you see on the bar that night when we were, when we were there? I mean, it, it was like you know, these sort of, it's Quinn the Eskimo with a backpack mm. full of, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, the, the next kind of consumers is not going to be that invested, but they are going to find some things they love. They are going to start putting it on their bar. They are going to see it as something they want a certain amount of the time. Uh, and I think it's a very natural set of steps from there. Well, much like, you know, I'm, I'm here in Nashville, uh, my wife and I are heavily involved in the music scene and stuff like that. And there's, a, there's, there's that, you know, for years now it's been, well, is, social media and self-promotion is that good or bad for the industry right and well everybody can just put whatever they want out on youtube or spotify well is it oversaturating or is it you know i and as far as i'm concerned i say put it all out there because the cream will rise to the top and they'll, they'll, the 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 audience will vote with their wallets as, as they often do but there's also i think the more and more we have uh we see this we see people putting their own content out and things like that you start realizing more and more how um, radio and the actual music industry were the gatekeepers to let us know what what we should be paying attention to. And yeah. I know a lot of people like to rebel against that, but I think in some way that we society needs some of that for anything that you're into, whatever the hobby is, whatever your genre, of whatever you're into, you kind of need those gatekeepers, whether they're a uh, radio talent or whether they're just the the nerds that are into it first the hipsters you know and i feel like with i I, that's i feel like it's happening now with rum right or with spirits in general the the nerds the the rum nerds like me that go to these tastings and try to get them as soon as they come into town um those guys are the ones that are the gatekeepers to say okay now i i I think this is what you should like this is what this is what the cool kids are, are into and that definitely proliferates throughout throughout the the rest of you know it's the old joke about the hipster like they don't like anything that's that everybody else likes well but 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 somebody had to initially like it somebody had to initially say this is cool i like this and so when you get these you know you talk about right now being in the phase where you know it's it's only kind of the geeks that are that are talking about it and but i i believe that the geeks are the ones who will eventually make it popular for everybody else. I, I, I think there are legitimate rum lovers. I think they're American spirit lovers. And I definitely think that there's elites that are really sort of fanning all of this. There would be, I think the market would be much slower to pick up without them. I think they're bringing the heterogeneity to the fore. Uh, so it's a really powerful force. I mean, people like yourself and others who just mentioned a name, the next time I'm at a, with a friend or something else, they mentioned that they have a Nissan. I'm going to be like, oh my God, I heard it's sort of wild. I want to try it. Even if I know nothing as an outsider, mm. I'm, I'm, at least I've got some, call it a trust from you, an agency from you. I, I, I'm interested now. And if I don't like it, so what? That's my opinion. We saw it happen, um, and we're seeing it happen right now again, actually, uh, in the cigar world. You know, uh, the, um, the, the bloggers and the, the, the sort of non-traditional journalists kind of fuel this, the market for things that are, you know, the, the, the chasers, like, Oh, I gotta have this. I gotta have that. I gotta, you know, this is this new company, you know, this, there's a, you know, we all, we all know the Romeo Lilettas and the Monte Cristos and all those big name uh, Altadas brands, but you, you know, you have, you know, you have some of these smaller, these boutique companies that are, I mean, here in Nashville, we have two, we have principal and crown heads. So we, uh, it's 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 kind of the nerds and the bloggers that that fuel the interest in those things um what's what's new and what's what's hot so i'm glad that we have that i feel like that in the rome world 
kind of makes makes us established, right? Like we have a we have a hipster class, we have a nerd class that, makes, that right. makes us a real thing now. Like that's so funny. So I think the only thing that was popping in my head is when you were talking about radio and you were talking about distribution of, of music, right? Uh -huh. In record companies. All I could think of was distribution in spirits and on and off premise as your, your disc jockey, right? And, and, and there is some correlation between the two concepts, right? You could easily tear it apart and say it's a terrible argument, but somebody has to put it in front of the people um, and somebody has to make some choices that are rational and economic um to, to decide what actually gets out into the ether uh, but you know the wonderful thing about living in this country is you know, we have yeah, the i don't want to call it the avant-garde it's, it's a little french and it's actually misses the point but thank god we have people that are ready for the next thing all the time um, they keep us moving forward they keep life interesting they you know if it's the ramones reacting to disco whatever it is thank god they do it because it, it keeps the wheel turning and i think um i mean we got about 10 minutes left here but so I, I don't want to i don't want to waste my ending line too soon but i think this is a i think this is a i just, I just, uh, I just I'm, I'm gonna be uh, my 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 writer is coming in here and i think the perfect way to sum that whole conversation up is just what better spirit for a country founded on this idea of for lack of a better term rebellion and doing things our way what better spirit than than Rome, who, like you said earlier, is uh, box at the the boundaries that other spirits have. Rome is a spirit that does it its own way, and it's very self-selecting. The people who like it know they like it, and you don't. We don't need a bunch of rules to tell us what rum is and what it isn't. You know if you know, and look at his historically speaking, the people that we associate with rum are not people that like to be told what to do. So <laughs> uh, we're going here. Okay, good, good closing. So okay, the joke at the beginning, and, and you asked me what got me started, and I gave good business answers. But the truth is, you know, we can definitely have a joke at you know the history of Boston sports prior to obviously the Patriots and a few other things. Um, but you know, Rum was an under underdog. It was a you know it was a sailing spirit and it was a maritime and it had all these different qualities. It has a lot of romance. Uh, we don't mm -hmm. know the Clint Eastwood figurehead. Our guys, unfortunately, wearing tricorner hats and relatively uh, you know sort of socially unpopular things in today's context. But it, it, just as a spirit, it's fascinating. I mean, it, and it can be rough and raw. There's that whole edge of it. And it could be, you know, as beautiful as as, as you can imagine. It could be outstanding. Um, I, I completely agree with you that I love being in early on things, be it tech or genomics or even craft distilling. We weren't early, but we were early enough is a nice way to say it. Um, I like being early in rums movements. I mean, again, 11 years ago, look at the brands available. And mm -hmm. uh, it wasn't a long list, but, you know, I was sampling Havana Club, you know, Mount Gay, Appleton, a few others in my early list. Obviously, Clément, a lot of the, I spent a lot of time in Martinique. Um, but compared to today, I think all these distilleries are making better things and other distilleries are making amazing things. Um, and it's, it's a really, it's been an interesting decade. Uh, I can't even, I, I, I don't know if it accelerates over the next decade or stays at the same speed of development, which is pretty fast. But it's you know, it's going to be a, it's going to be a continue to be a good ride. Uh, well, we see we see rum, uh, we see spirits in general, but rum definitely holding their own among spirits. And we actually, uh, you know, I, I don't like to I don't like to give too many dates and time when I do these because we don't they're going to be on the internet forever. But in the time that we're in right now, here coming to the close of 2021, there is a there are good things on the horizon for the economy and the world economy and the, and the, the, like we're supposed to have a nice boom in the next couple of years or so next. Uh, so what's, what's in the future, man? What's in the future for privateer? What's, what's so one of the things, you know, it's, it, it, like a lot of people that listen to you guys, we all work and we do these things with our lives and we, you know, commit ourselves and then we create a band of people that are going to be as insane as us to go after it. And, <laughs> Um, I think what was helpful for me with privateers, even though we've always had, you know, been approached by people, talked to by people, 
I think the, the, the consensus opinion of the team and, and certainly my own is that this won't, we won't even get to where we're trying to get to in my lifetime. Uh, and and, and that's a, it's a funny, um, you know, what's the expression in, for soldiers when you can really, you can really sort of, uh, when you accept that you're going to probably die, you can kind of get past a lot of the noise and get into what you're really trying to do. It's obviously a higher stakes business than ours. Um, but I think once you accept that you're not going to get it done in your lifetime and all you're doing is rolling a ball uh, and you're just praying that there's going to be somebody at the other end of it to pick it up and keep it going. Uh, because you believe back to the rough and tumble world you were describing of rum, that there is so much headroom. And I do believe that. I think rum can be just, <laughs> I think it can leave others and many other spirits behind. Um, but I think that that's where, that's how I look at it. So I feel like I'm, you know, I feel like I'm planting redwoods and, 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 and you know, I'm going to water them for a while and I'm going to do all the things I'm meant to do. And you know, try and pull the weeds back and, and a few other things that I'll do in my you know 25 years of this business uh, of which I've only had 10 under my belt. Um, but I, I, I think being independent is essential. I think being able to, as a business person, put quality first is essential. Uh, and, and those are hard choices. You know, some, I've got mm. to explain myself to my investors at times where I make choices and I'm very lucky to have people that support me. Uh, you know, this is, it's an unusual circumstance. Uh, but I think that's, that, you know, we and, and, and like many, many of the other great companies in our category are going to be, um, are going to have a lot to enjoy over the next 10 plus years. And, you know, the, the, the generic answers are, you know, rum's going to come from everywhere. It's going to be like, you know, the scene in Bottle Shock where there's going to be wine from China and South Africa and you know, the whole throwaway line um, towards the end of that movie. But I think the more interesting thing is the progression of quality, the better identification of styles. Uh, you know, forgive me for saying this. I'd like to see you know the rum companies uh, a little more respectful of each other. Uh, mm. I think that would be helpful. Um, we look at you know times we don't look at our best um, uh, as we take it out in the street. Uh, I do think the consumer doesn't need uh, to be told what best practices are. They might be curious as to what the specifics are, but they know good from not so good. Sure. Uh, and if they don't care, why are you trying to make them feel bad? You know, that's their choice. Uh, I certainly enjoy a, doesn't matter what it is, Dunkin' Donut on the way to work. I'm, I'm not sitting there thinking about the source of sugar. Um, so I think that's, that's all the maturity that we're going to have to do too. Um, but we're, you know, we have a great cohort of, of, of wonderful fan, you know, companies that are out there. I think they're just as committed as privateer. Um, and you know, it, it, it'll be, I think the next decade will be a lot of fun. Any plans? Short answers. No, no, I, hey man, you make my job oh, easy. <laughs> no, I am glad that you can talk. So I'm not going to pull stuff out of you. You act, this is great, man. This is incredible. Is there anything that, um, that you wanted to touch on that we haven't gotten to? No, I, I think I did. So people that are experimenting with rum, I think a couple of, you know, observations, not 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 facts you know and and, and as, you, as we talk we're talking to some elites that you know no more than i ever will we're talking to some you know spirits lovers we're talking to some rum lovers who enjoy mm -hmm. all the psychic benefits of rum and 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 everything that it means to them and all these other things um and they're all wonderful communities i think the um the only thing I would say is the people that are stepping into it, towards it, in whatever, from whichever direction they come, try things. Trust yourself. Uh, you know, it's okay. Be accepting of something that's not your favorite. Don't use what you like as a reference point. You know, go into it and ask yourself why it's interesting. Ask one or two questions about why the maker makes it that way. Um, by the time the marketer tells you that story, it's so spun and designed to get into your, you know, uh, you know, adrenal glands and everything else. It's not helpful. But really try and understand what each of these companies is trying to do and why um, and enjoy it. You know, that's the that's the key. It's like, you know, if I said I'm going to order a burgundy wine, I don't know what's coming. <laughs> the range of option is yeah. right. But I don't. Yeah. That's what draws me to, in particular, to Burgundy. It, it doesn't have all the heavy weights of Argentinians and Bordeaux and all these crazy things. 
to me, it's this like rum, this amazing range of wonderful opportunity through a thousand sets of eyes. We're all doing something wonderful and we embrace it. And I, you know, I think that's, that's a, that's a healthy way to look at, at rum, particularly in this, I, I could never say early stage because it's certainly been around for a while, but I want to say in this uh, early stage of reemergence uh, re into new markets and to new consumers. And if, if we can all step back, enjoy it, learn, it's the word. It's going to, which I, I'm pretty glad to see that we're all, that we're at least, at least the people I associate with, I could look around and everybody's having a lot of fun with it. We're really enjoying the stuff that you guys are putting out and which is something I always say, right? Keep Rome fun. Like it's cool to be a nerd about it, but at the end of the day, drink what you like. Yeah. Just, just enjoy it. Um, I will never, uh, I will never make fun or, or, or about anybody who likes anything that they like, and I expect the same return. You know what? I am That's guilty because I'm guilty of doing some of the faux pas, right? Like I, if there's some, I'm, I'm not a big fan of, of overproof. So if it's too high proof, I will dump some ice on there. I don't care. I will drink my rum on the rocks all the time, just depending on if, depending on what I'm in the mood for. I mean, uh, to riff off of your queen share, you know, one of my favorite daiquiris is the Navy Yard and the queen share daiquiri. And when we entered rum to 10, 11 years ago, it was a seasonal drink. It was sipped or mixed. It was a thousand other things. Uh, all of these rules are nonsense. Uh, you, you, you bought it, unless it's truly scarce. If we, you know, we pull up an 1897 bottle of rum, probably not for daiquiris, right? <laughs> but, 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 you know, anything that's made well, let's, let's enjoy it. And, yeah. you know, think just that, just the, the range of rum as, as, as a sipper and a mixer. Who had ever had the idea of pulling them apart? Probably somebody that made it a rum that didn't face very good on its own. And, 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 and thank heavens, a lot of the rums that are being made are just amazing. Yeah. Look at the work Harry and Johan and all those guys are doing. They're bringing one amazing product after another. You choose the ones you love because I guarantee there'll be some in their portfolio. Um, and the ones that you don't, ask a good question. Have fun with them. And that's a good, um, a good point, man. We, uh, you know, been talking a lot about rum as just by itself tonight, but let's not forget that I do, this is a cocktail podcast that I do and a tiki focused. And, you know, next time you guys are out there and you're mixing up some of those Navy grogs and, uh, you know, pay a little homage to the colonial era that, that those drinks were, were based off of, um, you know, throw a little, I, I can really, I, I've only ever sipped privateer, I've um I've never actually tried it mixing yet, but I really believe well the Queen Share is my favorite, so I think that'll be good in anything I put it in. But I'm really kind of thinking of some uh, uh that navy strength and some some grog or something. Yeah, you mix the New England white with a navy to make a daiquiri. Uh, I mean, there's so much. It's, it's endless range. What's the throwaway line of uh, what you can't do with one rum, you can do with three? Uh, <laughs> that's that's where we should be because I honestly think a well-made drink is an amazing experience. And the false debate between blended versus single cask. Well, it's true. More people seem to like single cask in the early adopter phase, but the blends offer things that the single cask can't. A cocktail can offer things that, and I'm not, this is not an analogy, but I'm just using it to illustrate. Uh, but a cocktail can do things that are sometimes a neat spirit or can't offer. Uh, and and my, my argument is embrace them all. Enjoy them all. Decide which one's best for you on one given day. Yep, exactly. And uh, and definitely go out there and try the privateers that you can find in your area. If you can't if you can't find it, go out and get it however you can. The way the real privateers did, you'll find a way. Yeah. And go ahead. Uh, and I'm really excited to um, hopefully try some of the expressions that I haven't had yet. Um, hopefully we can get them. We'll see some more stuff coming to town. You have a um, lot more coming to town. I can tell you that. That's I cannot wait, my friend. I cannot wait. Um, in fact, I'll throw a little plug in for some of my listeners. If you're in town here, keep an eye out on the uh, keep an eye out locally on your social media for there might be some tastings coming to town. Uh, so we'll talk about that when they when they get locked in. But um, definitely so excited uh, for Privateer. So excited for Rome, and so excited that you gave us as much time tonight to come and hang out and talk with me, man. I really do appreciate you hanging out with us. Everybody, I couldn't see or hear. Thanks for joining. And it was really a pleasure to talk. And 
Uh, Tony has my information. Any questions, please ask us. We're wide open up here. Um, so for the listeners that might hear this later, how do people follow you and get a hold of uh, Privateer? So again, you know, email is andrew at privateerrum.com. You can reach us through direct messaging and all the other vehicles. Um, go to our website. You'll find info and other variations. The, the, the best thing about our team right now is everybody is answering. They love to give information. We work hard to make sure it's accurate um, and truthful. We love feedback. Um, you know, we're really a, a learning system. Um, and so, yeah, don't, don't be shy. Don't, if you've heard something you want to ask us about it, if you ask a question about us, if you're concerned about something, anything, please, uh, please reach out. It's and if you just want to find out what's new and upcoming, um, I know I follow you guys on social media, so you can always get you guys on, um, you know what? I should have had this ahead of time. I think it's at privateer Rome on, uh, jeez, uh, boy, you're asking. The yeah. <laughs> You know, if I was a professional, so I would have done this ahead of time. The authenticity of our social media is we have to remind ourselves to do it. I believe <laughs> we me, haven't outsourced it to anybody else. Yes, um, it, is, it is at it is at Privateer Realm on Instagram. So if you guys are uh, if you guys want to follow them just to find out what's new and where they're going to be and what's coming out. Um, this is a great season to experiment with rum drinks. Um, if you if you don't want to jump right into sipping rum and you want to do some mixers we are in the perfect season for rum mixers whether it's eggnog or just some good rum and cokes or just uh whatever you're into try it with some, some high-end rum and see how much it really jumps the, your cocktail game up uh, you'll be surprised fresh limes <laughs> you'll be surprised. yes definitely always use the fresh limes if you're listening my listeners know about the fresh limes I, they know how mad i get about not using fresh limes thank you sir uh, i appreciate that you're doing you're fighting the good fight for us <laughs> Um, Andrew, thanks again for talking to us, man. I really appreciate it. Really nice to see you. Um, and we'll uh, we'll talk again hopefully soon. Have a nice night. All thanks, right. everybody. Thank you.